Good luck. Okay. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. I know some things those teachers don't know. <laughs> uh, we've been looking at the uh, different aspects of the, the Christmas presents, and we looked how uh, grace was unfolded to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we looked at the greatest gift of all. We looked at the greatest name of all. Today I want to look at the greatest message of all. You know, as you near this coming Thursday, this Christmas time, uh, you can't help but feel the pressure building. I don't know if you're like me, but I feel the pressure building. And uh, I kind of, in my mind, I go through and I notch certain things off. Okay, we got through this part, we got the trip, we got the kids on the plane. <laughs> we, you know, I'll tell you, this trip last Wednesday was one, uh, I'll tell you about it later, but it was interesting. Uh, we ended up in Sacramento, not Oakland, and we had to rent a car and drive down and for about two hours on the plane, uh, my little granddaughter's ears were bothering her, so she was screeching, and uh, it was interesting. A uh, what was supposed to be a, about a six-hour, five and a half, six-hour flight turned into almost seven and a half hours. Seven hours on a plane, whatever it was, because Las Vegas was snowed in, and, and uh, it's just it was interesting. But uh, you know, this year, the twelve days of Christmas, you were going to go out and buy what the 12 days of Christmas suggests that you buy for your true love would cost you, according to this article, uh, $86,609. Kind of crazy. I mean, just some of the things on here. I, I don't know where they find these, these price tags. Uh, it says here that this year the cost, according to the annual Christmas price index, I didn't even know there was such a thing, uh, compiled by PNC Wealth Management, which tallies up the single partridge in a pear tree all the way to the 12 drummers drumming. The price is up $8,500, or 10.9% over last year, $78,000. Um, it, it's interesting because it actually breaks it down um, as to what you would pay for each individual item. And, you know, if you're anything like me, you go out and you go shopping and it's just kind of, you don't know what to buy people. I mean, it's kind of it's crazy. Um, and today, as we look at the, the greatest message of all, you know, this is the kind of the, the whole center of Christmas, what we're going to talk about this morning. If you missed everything else in the last three messages, don't miss this morning because the message that we're going to have, and the greatest message of all is not the message I'm going to deliver to you, okay? We're talking not about my message, we're talking about God's message, lest you think I'm up here with some big ego or something. Um, but the greatest message of all is that that comes from God himself. And in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, uh, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, last week we looked at the greatest name of all, and we looked at all the different names given to Christ, well not all of them, but some of them, Wonderful Counselor, found in Isaiah, Mighty God, uh, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we even went beyond that and we said, you know, there's even scripture that supports that he's our Savior, that he's our friend, that he's our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so we know that Jesus Christ came to the planet Earth, and more specifically, he came to this obscure village there in uh, Bethlehem. But 
the story didn't start there. That's not where the story started. A lot of times you ask a child about the Christmas story, well, they go right to Bethlehem. Well, this Christmas story began a long, long time ago in eternity past. And the time was eternity, the place was heaven. And even before the planet was called earth and creation was called man and before there was an Adam and an Eve who would fall into sin and provide a curse for all of humanity, all of mankind, before, before all of that there was a decision that was made in heaven that God would become a man and come and die on our behalf. And so God burst into human history just at the right time and, you know, it's interesting how God has his own timetable, isn't it? Sometimes we think that, you know, we got our schedule and, you know, we check it twice and everything and we want to make sure that everything's working out. And then God just throws a loop at you, um, does something, allows something to happen in your life that you just think, well, this is weird. Why is this happening? I know better than the other day I was taking back a rental car on Thursday in Foster City. And I've done this several times. I don't, I don't know why I do this, but I, I dropped the car off. And Crystal was waiting in my car. I got behind the wheel, and I thought, okay, we'll go home. I go to get on uh, 92 West, and guess what I do? Get on 92 East. No more exits. Got to go all the way across the bay, okay? Well, you know, Crystal's going, where are we going? I said, well, we're going a little bit out of the way, but, you know, it's about 10, 12-mile detour here. Got any money, by the way, because I don't know if there's a turnaround. I don't have any. You know, we're kind of freaking out. And uh, it got on top of the span, and I thought, you know what? Wait a minute. There must be a purpose in this. See, we, we got our plane landed in Sacramento, not Oakland, and we couldn't get our bags off the plane. It would have taken six hours, they said. So they said, just go to Oakland. They'll call you when your bags arrive, and then you go and pick them up. Fine. Well, she was going to go have go out that night and buy the kids basically new clothes because all the clothes were in the bags. They had a pair of sweats. That was it. And so uh, we're heading over the bridge, and I thought, you know what? I bet you those bags are sitting there in the airport just waiting for us to pick them up, and nobody's going to call us because they're just so busy because all these airports are shut down. So we headed over there at like 5 o'clock or whatever, and the traffic was fine, and I dropped her off, and I thought, boy, this is going to be a while. Well, she calls me right back on the cell phone and says, hey, I got two of the bags. The other two are on the way. Come back and pick these up. And so we got our bags. You know, I say that to say that, you know, I didn't have a purpose in going across the San Mateo Bridge on Thursday night, um, you know, because I had to be here at 7 o'clock for worship practice and all this stuff. But you know what? God had a purpose in it, and it was to make life easier for all of us. And the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, at the appropriate time, just the right time, God sent forth, it says, his son, who was born of a woman, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. See, in the fullness of time, Mary supernaturally conceived in her womb the very son of God. I mean, just think about that for a minute. That's, that's hard to comprehend. Heard this illustration of a little 10-year-old girl who was becoming rather knowledgeable in Bible and Scripture, and uh, it was because of her grandmother's influence and instruction. And one day, um, she came to her grandmother because she had a question. She'd gotten home from Sunday school, and she said, Grandma, which virgin was the mother of Jesus. Grandma's kind of looking at her. She says, was it the Virgin Mary 
Or was it the King James Virgin? <laughs> Interesting. See, the fact is, okay, that Jesus was born of a virgin. That's just the fact. That's what the Bible says. And if, if you believe that God, look, you look around and you believe that God created everything that you see around you, you shouldn't have any problem that God could somehow bring forth a child out of a woman who is a virgin. It's supernatural hand of God at work. And when you stop and you think about it, it makes complete sense. It makes total sense. I mean, it would have been possible for God, if you think about it, to send, uh, you know, the Father to send Jesus to this earth as a complete, total, sinless human being without any human parents at all, right? He's God. He could have just said, boom, beamed him down here and Jesus is here. Ready to go. Ready to do ministry. He could have opened up the heavens and the shaft of light comes down and choom, he just kind of, you know, appears there. I'm Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm a man like you are and I've come from heaven. Well, there's a problem with that because it probably wouldn't hold a lot of legitimacy. Uh, it would have been hard for people of that day to believe that this Jesus could relate to them at all. And so God chose not to do that. He couldn't have done that because people would not have understood that Jesus totally understands our needs, totally understands our hurts, totally understands our pains, even the physical ones, folks, because he went through it on our behalf. On the other hand, it could have been possible for God the Father to come in, or for God to send his son into this world with two human parents. Could have been possible. It's God, both mother and father. Now, I know the theological implications, but just kind of sit here with me for a second. He could have done it with a full divine nature. But if he would have done that, it would have been hard for people to believe that Jesus was indeed God because what's so special about him? He just was born like everybody else. There's nothing special about this kid. That's what people would have thought. His origin would have been like everybody else. And so the way that the Son of God came to earth is rather logical to me when I think about it. And if you don't believe in this miracle, how can you believe in any miracle? If you don't believe the Bible account in this case, how can you believe anything the Bible says at all? I found this article in the San Jose Mercury News. And it, it kind of broke my heart in a way because... It was referring, I think I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, referring to an ABC Nightline interview with our president, George Bush. And in the interview, it says on Nightline on Monday, the president uh, also said he was not a literalist when it came to reading the Bible. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean you're not a literalist? They were asking him about evolution. And he said, well, I'm sure, he goes, personally, I believe that God created things and and things, but I'm sure that God can somehow bring that into uh, the fold too. And then he goes on in the interview, and I remember hearing him say this. And uh, he said, "You know, he goes, are you an, a literal, a literalist?" And he said, "Do you believe the Bible was literally true?" That was the question. And he said, "You know, probably not. I'm not a literalist, but I think you can learn a lot from it." Uh, I do not think that the, the new. I do not think that the New Testament example uh, is that uh, he got. And it kind of breaks up his words here. You, you know, the important lesson is God sent a son. 
Well, he got that right. And it was, it was sad because he goes on here. The president also said that he prays to the same God as those of different religious beliefs. Here's his quote. I do believe that there is an almighty that is broad and big enough and loving enough that can encompass a lot of people. I'm not saying he's not a believer. I'm not saying he's not a Christian. If he is, he, he, he needs to read some more of the Bible and maybe go to a good Bible teaching church where he could grow in his faith. But I'm thinking, how sad is that? To take this book and to have your faith as he does such an important thing and then say, well, you know, I don't think it's really true. I'm not a literalist of it. It says this stuff. It makes me feel good is kind of what he's saying. See, we spend a lot of time on how Jesus came into the world, don't we? It's been dealt with by apologetics. It's been dealt with, you know, well, she was born of a, he was born of a virgin and Mary was a virgin. And all. We go through all the theological implications of that and everything. And I think that anyone who has any kind of Christian faith at all knows if they ask how Jesus was born, they would say, well, they, she was born, he was born of a virgin. That's what the story is anyway. They may not believe that. They may not believe the literal account, but they would say that's what the story says, that Mary was a virgin when she brought forth the Christ child. See, I think there's a more important question here at stake. Not how he came, but why. Why did Jesus come? That's the real kind of emphasis of Christmas. I mean, did he come to teach us ultimate life principles? Is that what he did? Well, to some degree he did. We can find those in the Word of God. We've just gone through some when we were studying through Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. But his teachings were so much more than that. Did he come to serve as a perfect example on how a man should live? Definitely. And he did that. He fulfilled that. Jesus is the only person that lived a perfect example that was sinless in every way. He's the only perfect human life that has been ever lived, was lived through the Christ child, lived through Jesus Christ But that's not the primary reason why he came either. You might say, well, did he come because he wanted to do all these miracles for people? I mean, you read through the gospel accounts, and we're going to be getting into more of those after in January, some of the miracles that Christ performed. Amazing stuff. Yeah, he did that. That's part of why he was there. But even that isn't the main principle why he came. See, we love to talk about how he came. He was born of a virgin in the Christmas story. But why did he come? We focus on the miracle of his birth, but why did he come to earth in the first place? That's what I want to look at this morning. Because that is really the greatest message of all. It's not how he came. It's that he came at all. In John 10.10, the first reason that Christ came was to bring us purpose and life. To bring us purpose and life. Jesus said himself in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it, what? More abundantly, right? Not just life, but abundant life. It has the idea of of life kind of just oozing out of you. And to be frank, I mean, you walk into some churches sometimes, I mean, you think you're in a funeral parlor. There's no life there at all. 
It's like some big, somebody came along with a big shop back and just sucked out all the life. I mean, people even got their, you know, their cheeks sucked in, scorns on their face. It's like, boy, that's scary. And I'm thinking, are they missing the Christian experience? Is that the abundant life that God talked about? You know, from the day you were born, you've been on a quest. You've been on a quest. You've been searching for something. You may not even know it, but you've been searching for something. You've been looking for something more. Because if you weren't, you'd just curl up in a gutter and die. There's something inside you, deep down inside you, that presses you on each day because you want more of life. And that starts at a very young age. Deep down inside, you have a sense that there must be more to this life. There must be more meaning. There must be more purpose. I don't just exist to exist. Some of you may be sitting here this morning, and I'm the only person that felt that way. (laughs) No, you may have thought that, but you're not. We all had that feeling at one time or another in our deepest of hearts. You look around the world, and sometimes you ask yourself, am I the only one that's just disillusioned by all this? It's not satisfying to me. And you're saying to yourself, there's got to be something more. And, and, and I'm here to tell you there is. See, you need to know that you were essentially what I like to call heart-wired. You know, you hear the word hardwired. Well, you're heart-wired by God with a sense that there's more to life. He doesn't create you with just a, a blah and just, you know, that's how you live your life. Blah, I don't want to have any purpose. I don't want to have any... No, there's always something inside you. Maybe you stuffed it way down deep inside you because you've been hurt or whatever. But there's something inside you that says, you know what? There's more to life than what I'm existing in right now. And that's why when you go down the road of, of earthly pursuits, that's why when you go down the road of personal achievements or you go down the, the road of personal pleasure. Or materialism. You know, the more you have, the happier you'll be. I read an article this morning on the internet. I was looking for an illustration. And I saw this thing about Cher. Remember Cher, Sonny and Bono? Or Sonny, Sonny Cher. <laughs> Sonny and Bono. Sonny Cher. It, you know, it had this picture of her on, on one of the, the news things. And she just looked, you know, just sad. Just sad. Just tragically sad. And it talked about a Christmas where she spent a Christmas alone. And she was so depressed, it took her until July to open up any of her Christmas gifts. Now, that's pretty depressed. I mean, can you imagine having Christmas gifts and not opening them? You know, uh, some of my family want to open them Christmas Eve. And I'm kind of a, you know, no, Christmas morning, that's when we got to do it. And, you know, it's just kind of a crazy thing. But, you know, to put it off to July... And I'm thinking, this person probably has more wealth than I'll ever dream of, more, more things, more achievements, more whatever, fame. And yet, she's miserable. Or she was. I, don't, I read the story. It didn't really give an answer to whether she was still miserable or not. But just that the holidays are a hard time for her. You know, those things don't answer that quest that God put inside you, that void that's there. See, Jesus came to give life. Life in all of its fullness on earth and even life beyond the grave. That's what we need to hold on to, that truth. You know, I often wondered if there weren't a heaven, 
if there was no hope beyond the life, in other words, you just died and just went back to the dirt and that was it. Nothing. Nothing more. If there was nothing to be experienced as a Christian beyond what I experience right now in my daily life, I often wonder, would I still be a follower of Jesus? Would I still follow him? If, if there was no eternity, if there was no heaven, if there's no promise, any of this stuff, would I still follow him? And, you know, I know what Paul says. You know, that our hope, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. That's what he says. But you know what? I think I would. I think I would. Not because I'm some dedicated person. I just think that, you know what? I couldn't choose a better life with all its problems. It's not that life is perfect. Life's got a lot of problems. But you know what? When I lay my head on my pillow at night and go to sleep, I don't know. There's, there's, there's something within me. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's Christ. Maybe it's that peace that he gives a believer that realizes, you know what? I'm going to live each day at a dime and try to live it the best that I can. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we all mess up in a lot of different areas. And that's where God covers it with his grace. And he's there to pick us up out of the pit and, and hey, get back on the road. You know, we need to keep moving. We need to keep moving. But I have a life with a purpose, with a meaning, with a direction. I mean, do I have a huge church? Is this church big? Make it? No. But that wouldn't fulfill any purpose in my life to have a big church. I mean, I'm sure that somehow we could make this church big if that's all we wanted to do is just get people in here. I was listening to somebody in the uh, coffee shop the other day, and one was a retired pastor, and the other was probably a deacon or elder on, the, on some board of a church. And, and I, I think he was kind of like the denominational head of this organization. And he was facing me, and the, the, the pastor that I know was facing away from me, so I couldn't really, he was just kind of listening to him. But it, I was amazed. This guy was saying, you know, our church seems to be dying. And we've tried in the last five years, we've tried everything. And get you, this is a very liberal, very liberal church. I mean, they don't have a problem with ordaining homosexuals. They don't have a problem with, you know, misinterpreting the Bible. They, they're very liberal. But he said, you know, we want our church to grow. And we've tried to reach out to the younger people. And then he said this, we've even given away laptops to try to get the young people to come to our church. I'm sitting there going, man, if I was a young person, I'd be going to that church. You know, laptop? Can you imagine? Crazy. But you know what he said at the end of all this stuff? They gave uh, passes away to Disneyland and all this crazy stuff. At the end, he said, you know what? None of it worked. That's what he said. So now we're looking for something else. I wanted to shout over, hey, you know what? Try uh, reading the book, you know. And I mean, try doing it Jesus' way. It was, just, it was just crazy. But he was looking for something else. You know, he's missed it. There's no purpose there in that. That kind of stuff doesn't give you purpose. He's going down the wrong path. The Lord said, I came so that they can have a real and eternal life more and better life than they ever dreamed of. That's a paraphrase of John 10, 10. That's why he came. One of the reasons to bring us purpose in life. 
Secondly, he came to heal the brokenhearted. In Luke 4, verse 18, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're one of the brokenhearted. Or maybe you're one of the poor. I don't know, but whatever. You feel as though no one understands or cares about the situation you're in. Maybe your heart's been broken by a myriad of things. It could be divorce. Maybe you've been estranged from your parents. Maybe you've been estranged from your children. And you know what? At this time of the year, those kind of pains seem to to just magnify, don't they? I mean, they just seem to, like 10 times the amount of pain there is any other time. Around the holiday time, it gets worse. Maybe you've lost somebody dear to you this past year or the last couple of years. And this Christmas is going to be tough. You know it's going to be tough. Perhaps your heart is broken because you've, you know, just kind of maybe moved away from the Lord in your life, in your walk. Maybe you don't have that fervor you had at one point in your Christian life. I know that around Christmas time, usually, and I'm not a real sentimental guy, an emotional guy that much, but around Christmas time, at some point, During the holiday season, I'm reminded of a cold, wintry day in December, I think it was, or January, I can't remember when it was. I know it was, I think it was after Christmas, when, you know, I was seven years old, this little boy, and my dad passed away. And I remember that morning, I remember my brother telling me, and I remember because he was, our dad came home for Christmas, and then they took him back to this uh, kind of convalescent home, and... uh, I remember my brother telling me, you know, dad won't be home anymore. And it just kind of stuck with me. And it's, it's weird because I don't, you know, you know me. I mean, I, I usually don't get emotional about a lot of things. But once in a while, that little, usually every Christmas time, that little thing just pricks me. It's like, whoa, I don't like that feeling. Because it's a hard feeling to deal with. And you know what? If you have a broken heart this this Christmas, I'm here to tell you that God sent his son to heal it. To heal it. Not just to put a band-aid on it, but to heal it. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned by friends. He understands what it's like to be let down. He even felt the sting of death for us. He understands us better than anyone can understand us. He's experienced everything you and I have experienced in our lives. Apart from our sin, I should say. Because he was perfect in every way. And he experienced it to show us that he can understand and heal our broken hearts. I love what the, the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. I just want to read this for you because it, it's so, and it's out of the, the, uh, the, the living Bible, but it, it's such a, a neat way to put it. It says, since we, God's children, are human beings made of flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood, too, by being born in human form. For only as a human being uh, could, could he die, 
and in dying break the power of the devil who had the power of death. We all know he did not come as an angel, but as a human being. Yes, even as a Jew. And it was necessary for Jesus to be like us, his brothers, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, a priest who would be both merciful to us and faithful to God in dealing with the sins of the people. For since he himself has now been through suffering and temptation, he knows what it is like when we suffer and are tempted. And he is wonderfully able to help us. See, that's the God we serve. It's not some God that's up there trying to make our life miserable. That's not the God of the Bible. He's come to bring his purpose in life. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. But even those two things, as important as they are, is not the primary reason why Jesus came. That's not the primary reason why Jesus came. We all know the primary reason why Jesus came. The primary reason why Jesus came to earth was born of a virgin and lived a life was to be able to forgive us of our sin. That's what the Bible says. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On our flight out here from Jacksonville, Somebody got sick in the front of the plane. And I'm not going to get into all the details because I don't know all the details, but I just know that, you know, right about when they are getting ready to serve our snacks and our drinks, uh, we didn't get them. <laughs> and all the stewardesses were up front by the, by the captain's thing, and I'm thinking, I hope it's not the captain that's sick. But, um, and I'm kind of walking around the plane with, with my granddaughter Gabby and we're in the back and I asked one of the stewardesses what happened they said well somebody had food poisoning and I said oh I said you look you know you look pretty upset up there it looked like you were almost going to cry and she was standing there kind of in front where the cap you know she they wouldn't, wouldn't let anybody in the bathroom and she said oh I, I wasn't emotional that way you should have seen the bathroom she goes it was disgusting I was almost going to throw up. Because <laughs> that's why my eyes were watery. It was so bad. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't need to hear any more of this. So they had to close the bathroom down. And I just remember, you know, thinking this, 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 whole, this, this, this whole thing is when they came on the air, on the intercom, and here we are, passengers, we paid for our tickets and everything, and the stewardess came on the air, is there a doctor on board? We need a doctor. And there wasn't one. There wasn't a nurse. There wasn't any medical profession. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, that's a good example. When you get on a plane, you know what? You don't get on the plane to say, yeah, I hope I can serve somebody. No, you paid good money for your ticket. You're sitting down. You're like, hey, bring me the drinks, you know, the little snacks, whatever they got. You know, you're here to serve me. I'm your customer. And when they, when they ask that question, sometimes, you know, we need to be reminded that the Son of Man did not come to be served. Jesus did not come to earth just so people could serve him. At that point in his life, that's not what his life was about. He didn't walk around like a prima donna saying, hey, you know, I'm the son of God, you know, kiss my feet and, you know, feed me grapes and all sorts of things. That's not what Jesus did. He came to be served, or to, to, to serve, not to be served. And not only that, but he came to give his life a ransom for many. And I thought, boy, 
I mean, that would be like the stewardess saying, hey, you know what? We need somebody to come up here and give their life for this guy and this pastor. <laughs> like, yeah, right. I mean, they couldn't even get a doctor to acknowledge themselves to help out. See, that baby in the manger stood. That little baby that we look at at nativities and everything. That little baby was there in the, in the, the shadow of the cross. Because that's what it was all about. And from the earliest parts of his ministry, you remember Christ spoke repeatedly of the fact that he would die. And his disciples couldn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. It's like, you're the Messiah. What do you mean you're going to die? We're going to overthrow Rome. We're going to free Israel. We're going to... And he said, no, I'm going to die. Not only that, but I'm going to die on a cross. And for Jewish people, that was just like anathema. It's like, what? You've got to be kidding me. And it would be a painful and it would be a shameful death. And the Bible says that he would lay his life down. No one would take it from him, but he would lay it down voluntarily, willingly. He would give it of his own accord. Because that's the purpose and what Christ came for. He came to die and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did he do that? Because, (laughs) one reason, because Steve Converse is a sinner. Because you're a sinner. He had to. There's no other way for us to get out of our predicament. God didn't have a backup plan. We'll go to plan B. I don't want to send my son. No, that was, that was what all eternity was about. Was the preparation of his son coming to die for the sins of the world. See, sometimes we, we think God reacts to us. We think that God is up there in heaven and uh, Eve, don't eat that apple. Oh no, she ate it. What am I going to do? Oh no, let's see, you know, Jesus, come here. You got to go down there and you know, that's not how God works. The Bible says before time, before the foundation of the world, God appointed Christ as our savior. It's not something that God just kind of thought up at the last minute. God doesn't respond to us in that way. But we've all broken his commandments time and time again. We've all done something wrong. We're all separated from God because of our sin. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, well, I don't sin, you know, I want to talk to you after the service. I mean, I ask you a couple questions. Have you ever lied? Have you ever taken something that's not yours, irrespective of its value? Have you ever used God's name in vain? Have you ever thought a lustful thought in your mind? All those things are sins by God's standard, and they separate us from God. And so he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what Christmas is all about. I mean, all this other stuff, the lights and the holly, and that's great. You know, it's kind of fun. But that's not what it's about. It's not about shopping. It's not about all that stuff. I mean, one of the most familiar passages in the whole Bible, you see it at ball games, you see it everywhere, is John 3, 16, 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's that abundant life I was talking about. And then it says this, For God did not send His Son into the world, listen to this, to condemn the world. See, so many people think, well, yeah, you're Christians, you know, that's, you just live a sour life because God is up there and He's the cosmic killjoy and He's just going to make your life miserable. He just gives you a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts and that's what you've got to do the rest of your life. It says that He did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's the purpose of Christmas. God so loved the world that he gave. 
And we need to remember that God is not out there wanting to rain on our parades and ruin our lives. He's there to help us. He created us. He knows what's best for us in every circumstance of life. God loves you. Maybe you, maybe you have a, a bad relationship with your father or you had a bad relationship with your father and maybe you view God as this father figure and maybe you, know, you just can't, you know, your, your, your brain goes into dissonance when you, when you hear the idea that God is your father. Well, all I can tell you is get over it because the Bible says that God loves you. He really does. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way, get over it. I mean get over it. Either you believe that truth or you don't. Either God is a God who is up there and angry and bitter toward the world and trying to ruin your life or he's a God of love and a God of forgiveness and a God of grace and a God of peace. And I guarantee you, you go around the room here this morning and you ask people, hey, have you come to Christ? And they say, yeah. Was God a love, a God of love, a God of peace, a God of grace or an angry God and a mean God? And I guarantee you the majority of people here in this building will tell you, no, God is a God of grace. God is a loving God. He wants to save you. He doesn't want to ruin your life. That's not what God is about. He longs for fellowship with you. He, he misses when you sin against him. He, he, he grieves his heart. He wants to commune with you. Worship practice this morning. My little granddaughter came in and she came up. We are practicing. She's like, you know. And I'm like, well, it's kind of hard to pick you up when I'm playing the piano, but, you know. But I had to hold her. I had to hold her a little bit. She missed me. She's been gone a couple hours. But you know what? I wasn't there when she woke up. So she's probably thinking, okay, where'd this guy go now? But that's a good feeling. See, and, and we have to remember that when we don't spend time with God, when we don't spend time with, with God's people, when we don't, we don't spend time in God's word, he misses that. And that's what we should. We should miss that. We shouldn't allow all this other stuff to close in on us and push away the essentials, the basics of life. It's so easy to do. Beloved, I've gone through weeks sometime, even preparing for a sermon, knowing that, you know what, I'm not communing with God. It's just a task I'm going through. Boom. I've got to deliver something on Sunday. hope God speaks to me somehow, and usually he does. But I'll tell you what, there's been those weeks where it's been very dry, and it's been hard. But God's grace gets you through it. But it's not because of us. He longs to have fellowship with you. Jesus said this, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. I mean, you can talk about that all day long. You can sing songs about it. You can write poetry about it. You can, you know, write the word on on, on, uh, big... 13-inch letters on your wall or whatever you want to do. But God, through Jesus Christ, demonstrated. He proved it. He proved his love for you by giving up his own life to save us. That's what he did. And when God offers this ultimate gift to us, and he says, man, this is, this is the greatest gift, the greatest message that I could ever give you, that I love you and I want to save you from your life of sin. And you turn away and you, you reject it. Don't you think that's an insult? Don't you think that grieves the heart of God? It does. It's tragic. I encourage you this Christmas to take the gift that God has for you. Be more worried about that gift than the gifts under the tree or who you're going to buy for what. 
It's a million times better than anything you're going to get wrapped up in some paper. Jesus said to the woman at the well, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to. He said, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You'd never thirst again. Living water. See, the gift he offered her is the same gift that he offers here today. It's the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's the ultimate gift. It's that indescribable gift that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And you know, with Christmas coming, it's only a couple days away, and the pressure is mounting, and you think that you finally got everything, and you, you know, you're going back to your car, and throw everything in the trunk, and you pull out, and you pull out of the parking garage, and then you remember Aunt, you know, whoever, and you're going, oh, I gotta go back in there. Somebody's got my parking space. See, and the pressure just mounts. God has a gift for you that's so much more important than anything you would ever shop for. I heard a story of a little boy who was, he was writing a letter to God. And he wanted to list all the things that he wanted for Christmas to this letter to God. And so he's sitting there at the table, as little boys do. He's got his tongue between his teeth, and he's concentrating, and he's trying to write, and he's penciling out these words. And Dear God, I've been good for six months now. He stopped, and he thought. He crossed out six. <laughs> wrote three. Dear God, I've been good for three months now. He thought a little bit more. He crossed out three months. He wrote down two weeks. Dear God, I've been good for two weeks now. And he looked at it, and after considering it again, he kind of looked over at his mom's coffee table. And on his mom's coffee table, she had the nativity scene set up. This little boy went over, and he took the little baby Jesus out of, or he took the mother Mary, excuse me, out of the nativity scene, and he came back, and he wrote this, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) See, most of us have these expectations wrapped up in giving and receiving gifts. It's just within our culture. And, you know, you get so psyched up about it sometimes. It's it's crazy. It's a perfect gift. It's just not or whatever. And you can deal with the people that are just being polite. No, isn't this nice? You know, and, you know, they're going to re-gift it to somebody else. And, you know, it's just crazy. More than that, you know, I encourage you this holiday season to really look for those gifts maybe around the dinner table when you're just spending time with your relatives. Those are the gifts that are, are so important. Uh, those simple things. You know, there, 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 <laughs> there is this old lady who, this old woman, I should say, excuse me, this old woman, <laughs> old lady, uh, this, this, this old woman who was losing her eyesight. She had three sons. And they were just beside themselves. This lady was, you know, had pretty much everything she needed, pretty content life. And the three sons really were trying to please her in every way possible. And uh, and so the first son went out, and he was very wealthy, and he bought her a 15-room mansion out in the countryside. The second son, not wanting to be outdone, signed the papers on a brand-new Rolls-Royce, complete with the chauffeur. 
hoping to win his mother's approval. And the third son, after thinking about it for a while, he didn't know what to do exactly. He went out and he bought his nearly blind mother a trained parrot. And this wasn't just any trained parrot. This parrot could recite any Bible verse in the Bible. All you had to do is just give the address and the parrot would just go off. Spent a ton of money for this thing. So the mother received all these, these gifts and on Christmas Day, she opened them all up. She called her first son. And she said, well, thanks so much for the mansion, but really, son, you know what? I live in a one-room house. I'm content here. Um, sell it, give it to somebody else. I, I really don't need it. Called up her second son and said, hey, thanks for the Rolls Royce. It's a real nice ride and everything, but you know what? I really don't care for the chauffeur, and I really don't go anywhere anyway, so you can take it back. And then she wrote to her third son, and she said, son, thank you so much for that thoughtful gift. That chicken was small. But it was very delicious. See, sometimes when you get somebody a gift, it's not all what it's cracked up to be. You don't know how, what they're going to do with it, all right? And I think it's important for us to rediscover the true gift of Christmas. And that is God with us. God with us. Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and we'll, we'll close with this. It says, now the birth of Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, after they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall give his name, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and, be, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took to him uh, his wife, uh, Mary, and did not know her till he had brought forth his firstborn, uh, her firstborn, and he called his name Jesus. See, it's important to remember that even though we, we go through all of this, uh, you know, theatrics of Christmas, the message of Christmas is that God has the wonderful message. The best message ever is that God gave his son to this world. Not to come and be served by us, but to serve us. And to remember that, that that salvation that Christ provided through the cross is available to every one of us. And I pray that this, this Christmas you can say, Emmanuel, God with me. That it's personal. It's not just another holiday. He'll do that for you. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we pray this morning that as we have looked at these different passages of Scripture, Lord, there's one that still rings true in my, my heart. Is, is, Lord, when you say, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the age of the earth, and again, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Father, the message of Christmas is that God, the Almighty, the Creator, the King of the universe is with us. And not only with us, but the Bible says can be in us through Christ. What an astonishing message. 
Every other tale of Christmas pales in contrast to your message. Maybe you're here this morning and these words catch you. Maybe you're feeling alone. Maybe you're feeling lonely. Maybe you've never found that right man or woman to be your life partner yet. You're a single person. I want you to remember that God is with you. He'll be your life partner. Maybe there's those here this morning whose marriage is hanging by a thread. And at this time when there's so much emphasis placed on family and celebration, you're just enduring a severe gut-wrenching marital issue or problem. And right now in the storm, right in the middle of the storm, in the heartache, everything, I want you to remember that God is with you. Maybe you've been estranged from your children or your parents. All the heartbreak and all those hard feelings come rushing in. God is with you. Maybe you lost someone close to you. Or maybe somebody close to you has let you down, disappointed you. I want you to remember that God is with you. That's the message of this Christmas season. And he can be with you this morning. You just cry out to him, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, save me. Maybe you don't understand all the theology and everything else, but Lord, that, sim- that simple prayer that you pray to the Lord will be answered. Be gracious to me, Lord. I need your salvation. Save me. He'll answer that prayer. He'll, he'll change your life in, in ways that you would never even imagine. He'll give you victory over everything that haunts you. And he'll be your Savior. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We pray that we would share this great message with those around us this holiday time, this Christmas time, that would remind people that Christ is the celebration of Christmas. Father, help us not to be ashamed of that message, but help us to proclaim it loudly and boldly so that people could come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.